Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Do you remember when we did that show and you had to go find a mini driver? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. In London. And I had to go out of the studio. Yeah, it was pouring rain. It was really bad weather. And I just had to go out onto the bridge and, like, find someone driving a mini. And not only that, they like, I did it. I love that you didn't. That, to me, is wonderful that you didn't. <laughs> That's your curiosity and you're, you're being game. Be game. Hello, I'm Mini Driver. Welcome to Mini Questions Season 2. I've always loved Proust's questionnaire. It was originally a 19th century parlor game where players would ask each other 35 questions aimed at revealing the other player's true nature. It's just the scientific method, really. In asking different people the same set of questions, you can make observations about which truths appear to be universal. I love this discipline. And it made me wonder, what if these questions were just the jumping off point? What greater depths would be revealed if I asked these questions as conversation starters with thought leaders and trailblazers across all these different disciplines? So I adapted Proust's questionnaire and I wrote my own seven questions that I personally think are pertinent to a person's story. They are, when and where were you happiest? What is the quality you like least about yourself? What relationship, real or fictionalized, defines love for you? What question would you most like answered? What person, place, or experience has shaped you the most? What would be your last meal? And can you tell me something in your life that's grown out of a personal disaster? And I've gathered a group of really remarkable people, ones that I am honored and humbled to have had the chance to engage with. 
You may not hear their answers to all seven of these questions. We've whittled it down to which questions felt closest to their experience or the most surprising or created the most fertile ground to connect. My guest today on Mini Questions is actor, writer, musician and director David Duchovny. Dave and I made a movie a little while ago, okay, a lot a while ago, that remains one of my favourite movie-making experiences, largely because he is so clever and funny and such good company. I usually measure a good time by how much I have laughed, and that time was a solid 9.5. Most people at this point know that David is a writer as much as he is a brilliant actor, And I've actually longed for him to finish the PhD he began when he was at university because its title has always been so incredibly satisfying to me. It's called Magic and Technology in Contemporary American Fiction and Poetry. I mean, it's a mouthful, isn't it? But, you know, a good one. Spending time in close proximity to Dave's brain has only ever been a good and rewarding thing, which is why I would urge you to read any of the novels he's written, my favourite of which is called Miss Subways. I think it's a crucible for some of my favourite strands of Duchovnyism, the ideas of myth and mythology, time, love, and, of course, New York City. It's always a pleasure to speak to someone I've known for a long time, but it was extra interesting getting to ask Dave these questions at this point in our life and what I hope is a long, continuing friendship. Where and when were you happiest? (laughs) Don't laugh. (laughs) Unless it's because it's a really happy memory. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, my relationship to the word happy is pretty fraught, you know, I, mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a question my mother used to ask me all the time. Are you happy? And I would always think, what? I don't know how to answer that question. There are times I've felt fully engaged. Those are the times I'm happiest when I'm fully engaged. And they're usually either with family, with my kids or with uh, work. When I'm fully engaged in the work and just kind of the monkey brain is turned off. And it's just like creation, 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 go to sleep, wake up, try to create some more. Those are the best moments. And and you can have that with kids as well. But an actual specific instance. No, I think that's what I mean. Because sometimes it's attached to a thing that we do. But it's really what are the tenets of I'm interested in and what the tenets of happiness are for people, because it's a weird one. Yeah, for me, it's it's bringing something into being that wasn't here before. And that's even a, a person. You know, that's a child, that's a book, that's a song, that's a a movie, that's a it's a joke. I don't know. It's just like that. To me, that feels happy. Like, not that I then kind of bask in it, you know, like, oh, now I've done it. I've created something. No, it's just that feeling of, you know, that it's like a vortex when you're kind of in the middle of creating something. And it's it's just this wonderful kind of unsettled feeling. And all you're doing is like go with your instinct. And that's that's a lovely feeling for me. I completely agree. The more I've thought about it and the more that I've lived and the more death that I've come up against, you really do realise that that moment where you can be completely engaged in making something that is part of life, that is really as good as it gets. 
because I think either everything else since my mother died, and I, I do bang on about this a bit, and she would get so annoyed that I kept using it as an illustration, but it's a good one. There's this brilliant pointlessness when somebody dies. There's this existential kind of nihilism, which is awful to begin with. And then if you're lucky, it grows into a proper appreciation for what it might actually be about or what it seems to me to be about. Because when you watch somebody die, you really see, oh, it's, it just ends. So those moments, I totally get that of distilled creation and of in that moment of birthing something, of paying attention to it, of being engaged. And even if it's fleeting or if it lasts for five minutes or maybe it's five hours of sitting, writing something or watching your child being born. Like, I completely agree with that. My mom's 92 now. Are you kidding me? Yeah, you met her. You met her in... in oh my God, I did. I met her in <laughs> Edinburgh. Yeah, exactly. She's fantastic. Yeah, well, she's got dementia and she recognizes us, but you know, she's she's not all there at all. And that's the other thing. It's not just life ends. It's like identity ends. Sometimes before life ends, identity ends. And that's a really weird question, Like. What did that mean, that identity? What was that construct of character or personality? Was it a lie? Was it, what was it? You know, is it just a screen? What's the real thing? It, it's existential, like you said. It's just, wow, identity is flimsy. It's super flimsy. It's built on sand, as demonstrated by what happens when it begins to disappear. Yeah. But I do believe in something more kinetic. Mm. That's beyond that. I really, I really do. Having having watched the intellectual side and the body diminish, but still felt the presence of that kinetic something. There was something amazing. It was just particularly when my mom died, it was almost like just the tiniest beginning of a breadcrumb trail that she left as she left. Yeah. I think about that a lot. And I don't know if that's just the wishful thinking of, of missing somebody or, or hoping that there is a life. How long ago did she die? It was a year on Monday. Oh, oh so really not that long. Yeah. Yeah. It brings up a lot of, just a lot about the bulwark of that you didn't realize was there between you and your own mortality. When your parents die, it's suddenly like, oh my God, I am next. Like, if you're lucky, you're next. If you're lucky. Yeah. Yes. What person, place, or experience has most altered your life? Person, place, or experience? Well, I think my mother, probably the most formative person for me, both good and bad, you know? Place, probably New York City. I grew up there. I spent the last like eight years there raising my kids. And, uh, Aww. I remember you gave me like a whole, when we did that screening of Return to Me at Edinburgh. Was it at Edinburgh Castle, right? Yeah. I remember you. <laughs> I remember you gave me like a massive prep on your mother, <laughs> like maybe the whole day before when we were doing press stuff, you were just like, just dropping things like, now listen, if she's really unimpressed and doesn't smile when she says hello to you, like, don't worry, it means this. Now do talk about this with her. And there was a whole, like, you knew her so well. You were saying it all with a smile. She was so brilliant. And she was, I remember we went on a tour of Edinburgh Castle and she was the mistress of the acerbic asides. <laughs> and she also like out of shot, which I thought was quite kind of her, of the tour guide, filled in the massive bits of history that they'd missed out that she knew about the castle, Yeah, which was brilliant. So I just hung back like the naughty kid with the really sort of smart acerbic teacher. Yeah, my mother is Scottish, you know, but but I didn't find out. And here's here's the weird thing about one's parents is I didn't find out till maybe 10 or 15 years ago that my mother was actually born in Queens, New York. What? Yeah. I, I did that show. Oh, the Who Do You Think You Are? 
Yeah, but I didn't I didn't learn it there, but I, I learned other things there. But my grandparents came over from Scotland in the late 20s. They came to Queens where my grandfather worked as a superintendent. That's what I learned in the show. He was a super for a building. They had three kids and then they went back to Scotland. So they they enjoyed the depression here in America. <laughs> depression was lifting here, so they decided it's still going on in, in England. We love the depression so much. We're going to continue this good thing in Scotland. So that's what they did. Everybody pack your bags. We're going back for more depression. <laughs> We're not depressed enough. One parachute for 10 years is enough. My mother would also, she also told me, you know, she was in this small town in Scotland that she was raised in called White Hills, I believe. And she would say that the Germans on their bombing runs would take off from, I guess, Finland. What is closest to Scotland? And it's right there. It's just, a, is, it, is it Norway or is it Finland? It's just... I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it's Norway, but quick, someone look at a map. I think it's Norway. Yeah. So the Germans had annexed whatever country it was for that reason, so they could be as close as they could get to London and refuel and just go on their, their bombing runs. So they would go on these bombing runs, taking off from Norway on their way to London. And sometimes if they hadn't dropped their payload, they would just kind of like drop little bombs. <laughs> because any self-respecting German aviator can't come home with some bombs still in the tank, Barry. They would try to bomb bridges. You know, they would try, they'd try to create havoc, whatever. You know, they didn't drop them willy-nilly. But she says one time she was out playing as a young child and this German bomber came screaming in low and she made eye contact with the pilot and he kind of gave her a nod and went on his way. Oh, my God. That's like, wow, that is such an eerie story. God, that's a really weirdly cinematic image, huh? I know. I know. That's like when I asked my dad, who flew in the Second World War, and I remember saying, well, I was going to the Berlin Film Festival, and I called him up and I was like, Dad, do you know Berlin? And he was like, only from 12,000 feet. <laughs> I was literally like, I was more thinking along, where could I get a good old schnitzel? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing that she remembers that. It's amazing that it was our parents' generation. I mean, my father was really my grandfather. Like, I mean, not literally, but he was the same age as, because he flew in that war, but got those stories. Yeah, right. Because my dad, he was 18 in 1945, so he was in train when the war ended. He, he was lucky. He is really lucky. Yeah, my daddy was 18 in 1939, flew the first great and terrible bombing raid, the first and the last day raid that the RAF flew. And he was one of only four survivors out of 12 planes, five man apiece. There was the, the Werner von Braun, who was the inventor of the U-2 rock and instrumental in the creation of a nuclear bomb. He was, you know, he was a Nazi uh, scientist who we appropriated after the war. Oh, I remember. I remember. They took him in. Yeah, I wanted all his intel. Yes. So he, you know, he, he got to live. His, <laughs> his autobiography, I believe, was called I Aim for the Stars. And Lenny Bruce said it should have been called I Aim for the Stars, but sometimes I hit London. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, exactly. Wow, what stories. Hello, Jamila Jamil here. You may know me from my role in The Good Place or from She-Hulk or from social media and my activism. I Weigh basically started as a social movement and my podcast is one of my truly greatest achievements. It's a podcast against shame and a place for us to have really honest and truly inclusive conversations. I love connecting with people. I love learning. I have a lot to learn and I'm inviting you along with me. On I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, I have friends, activists, specialists and absolute heroes join me to teach me from their experience and expertise. 
people like Conan O'Brien, Jane Fonda, Roxanne Gay, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Byer, Alok, Kelly Rowland, and more. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil has new episodes out every Tuesday, and you can find the show on earwolf.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. What relationship real or fictionalized defines love for you? Ooh, I mean, I'm just going to go with uh, my first uh, thought, but I think of Jesus Christ, who is not my Lord and Savior, but I do recognize him as a good teacher. And in the myth, he gives of his life 
the agape. The Greeks had uh, two notions of love. They had eros, sexual love, romantic love, and they had agape, which was friendship or spiritual love. And Jesus, to me, his self-sacrifice, whatever it is on the cross, you know, so that we, in the Christian tradition, so that Christians may be absolved of original sin, moves me. It moves me. It's a kind of a love one has for one's children. You would lay down your life for them. It's a complete selflessness without the possessiveness of erotic love. I guess that's my definition of it. That's so lovely. I didn't know that agape, I've had friends who go to gatherings where it, I guess that is the particular teaching, like a form of worship, like a worship on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that came from the Greek. I think you're right. I think that the eros, the erotic side, it's just different. But I think that kind of it's more encompassing the unconditional love of a child or a dog. Well, you know, I think we confuse ourselves because people in relationships are always talking about unconditional love. And and I'm thinking, that doesn't sound very smart. I mean, I feel like love is totally conditional for the most part. It's, you know, the the conditions are, you know, that you are who you say you are, you know, those kinds of things, you know, so it's like. I just think it's completely impossible for a human to be unconditional. We create these conditions and whether they come from like reptilian brain survival or whether they come from, no, I think it really is from that. Like you can't be unconditional as a human being. But you can, I suppose, be aware of how you could sort of maybe release those conditions to let love in because it, it is better like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, when you're lucky enough to have children, you, you realize a different kind of love is possible in one's life, you know, and it's a scary one for sure. But it's also, it's less turbulent. It's it's less subject to conditions. It's not subject to conditions. It's no. I know. There's so much letting go. No one told me that. (laughs) No one told me how much letting go there was with your children. I was like, oh, but it's like we say we have children. You know, I have a child. It's like, no, you don't. (laughs) But I think it does make you a nicer person. I think it's made me a nicer person to stand at the side of it. Yeah. I'm always amazed at how how easily they can do without me, you know? I'm like, oh. I know. I (laughs) I thought I was indispensable. I really did. I really thought I was. It's so annoying because I now that my mother is gone, I just so wish I could say, I, you really were right when you were like, you'll be sorry when I'm gone. <laughs> I'm like, I really am. But I think that's a kid's journey. They have to think that they can completely do without us. Yeah. Well, you want that, but at the same time, it's, it's terribly painful. Oh, it's appalling. It's appalling. It used to be so entertaining to them. <laughs> no, and like the coolest, <laughs> the coolest. Yeah. I guess having children, it's got some kind of great marketing, like built in marketing campaign, because nobody talks about the stuff that is just brutal of how hard it is and how much you have to let go of this beautiful thing that used to love you and adore you and then has to individuate and has to kind of cut ties with you being a relevant human being. Yeah. Yeah. At least for a minute. But you know, I'm still thinking about your mom and my dad died in like 2005 or quite a while ago. And it's weird because you say so-and-so died, you know, that's the way we say it. We say my dad died or you say my mom died. But my experience of it was more, oh, he's he's still dead. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like he dies every day in a way. Oh my God, Dave, that's exactly, that is exactly fucking it. That's it. I've been trying to articulate this with these surges of grief. Like I had one yesterday and I was trying my poor neighbor who found me on the beach, just sort of like, just having a proper moment. Mm -hmm. 
And I was trying to explain to her exactly that. It's that she's still dead. There are these moments where my brain simply cannot comprehend that. And I think it must be that's the human, that's the reptilian brain going that it only exists in and of itself. And only when it is gone, can the heart or the spirit or the whatever it is go, I got you. Yeah. But we've been having to deal with this extraordinary machine in our head that, you know, can't comprehend of a lot of stuff beyond it. Well, time for one, without getting too heavy, because I don't know what I'm talking about when I talk about time. Well, who does, Dave? That's why I had you on the show. Like, who the fuck knows anything? <laughs> right, but every, you know, all the all the brilliant physicists and scientists will tell you that time doesn't exist in the way we experience it. That it's some kind of a simultaneous past and future at the same time deal going on. And the only thing that's going forward is kind of entropy, like things breaking apart. But there's no like linear from the past to the future. And I think when you have such a strong connection with another human being, like with a parent, it obliterates that illusion of time that starts in the past and goes straight into the future and kind of puts you in this weird flow, you know, which is where sometimes I know my dad's dead and sometimes I don't know. And so I'll go through a day where I didn't know it. I'll realize, oh, you know what I mean? Or a month where I don't think about him. And then there were months where I felt I was closer to him than I was in life, you know, that I needed him to die for me to get really close to him. And that was a weird feeling, too. I'll tell you that I had this novella coming out in June called The Reservoir, because nobody wants to buy a novella. Much They don't even really want to buy novels, but they really don't want to buy a novella. But I had this kind of gimmick, but cool thing, which is a bunch of poems and photographs that I've taken and written over the years that you get as like a bonus if you buy it early or something. But one of the poems I wrote about my dad, and I imagined him in the poem, I think it's called Seven Years Dead, but I was imagining him growing in that, in death, the way we grow in life, you know, that he was a child in death somehow in, in some other consciousness and i was a man and, and i and does he need me you know does he need me like does that dead child growing in the consciousness of death does he need me to hold his hand or you know you know what we're talking about is like poetry can kind of address things like that because it's not sensical it's not scientific but it, it tries to get at those paradoxes that we're touching on you know, so I will say that I, I kind of have thought about that just in the sense of, oh, does it grow? Does it grow? He was born into that death at that year, and now he's this many years dead. And is he is he growing? Is he, you know, that kind of a question. That's so funny. I just, I had a conversation. Well, I don't know whether it's with her or with my head, but I asked mom something and she went, I don't know, I'm newly dead. <laughs> and it was so funny and it was it's what makes me think that it was her because it was both annoyed and funny which was the distillation of her i had this dream a long time ago about my grandmother about my dad's mother who was dead at the time and she loved uh, fire island and she had a house there and a summer home there and uh, you have to take a ferry there you know you can't really drive there and I dreamt that I was on this ferry with Julia. We, I had to call her Julia because she wouldn't allow anybody to call her grandmother because she was eternally 48, 49. <laughs> and uh, so she was out at the front of the boat with the, you know, she had a scarf on on her head and the wind in her face. And she was clearly like loving this moment being on the ferry in the sun, going out to a place that she loved. And I was with some people and they were like, 
you've got to go tell her she's dead. <laughs> and I was like, why me? I mean, she's having a good time. <laughs> like, she needs to know. She needs to know she's dead. It's not right. Oh. And so I went and I sat down next to her and I just sat there for a bit. Eventually, I just said, Julia, I have to tell you something. I have to tell you that you're dead. And she said, I know. <laughs> God, that's such a great dream. Yeah, it was a good one. I'll never forget it. Yeah. I love that she knew. Yeah, didn't matter to her. It was incidental. <laughs> Maybe it is. Maybe it is incidental. Yeah, I just, I don't know, having felt my mother so keenly throughout my entire life and lived so far away from her for most of my adult life, but felt her as keenly and tuned in. I feel her as keenly now and I can feel like, I know she's absolutely fine. I don't know whatever form that takes, but there is nothing disturbed. And I know that isn't mind made. And maybe that's just from having kind of explored feeling as a currency in my life, not just as a Ponzi actor, but just in general. Yeah. Do you talk to your sister about your mom? Yeah, we do. And we've started to laugh more. Mm-hmm. Like we would do. Like we used to laugh at her a lot. And then we'd call <laughs> her and go, we were laughing at you so hard because we were remembering when you ate that rotten lamb and you said the green stuff was mint sauce. And we were like, no, it's not. It's mold. <laughs> and then you ate it and you almost died. Ha, ha, ha. Remember that? But now we've just started telling stories. And even though there's this weird, this adjunct feeling of like falling off a cliff because we can't then call her and say we were just having a laugh at your expense. Right. It's now becoming clear that there can be a different exchange. So what quality do you like least about yourself? I think impatience, probably. Impatience. I'm impatient. Are you impatient with yourself or are you impatient with other people or both? Both. I mean, I'm aware of my impatience with other people and I'm aware how horrible it is. So I really try and keep it to myself. But, you know, I feel it. And uh, it's something, something I wish I didn't have. You know, I don't know. I, I don't know where it comes from. I don't think it serves a purpose, but it's there. God, movie sets and television sets exacerbate that, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. Yeah, certainly, yeah, I felt that a lot waiting around on a movie set, sure. I don't know, I think I'm I'm so often in my head, like in in some kind of, whether it's a creative space I'm maintaining, that I'm protective of it. And therefore, if somebody is kind of knocking it a little bit and with information that I'm not crazy about or I don't care about I can I just ah, stop I don't want to hear about that so it probably made me a a bad father from time to time you know when you're living a creative life and you have children there's no roadmap you know like to a creative life it's like you're always doing it even when you're off so it took me a while to figure out how to be a decent person and not carve out all this time in which I'm supposed to be creating even if it's just being quiet God, that's a good reminder is that being quiet and appreciating the pines against the blue sky is being creative. You certainly know that when you've spent a winter in London, (laughs) I must say, where it's like, oh, the slab grey against the slate grey against the pigeon (laughs) grey against the grey grey. Yeah. Well, I remember uh, doing the X-Files in Vancouver. We we would always say, you know, we, we go to work in twilight and we wrap at twilight and then we sleep and we wake up in twilight. And we, it does get to be a weird state of existence. But, you know, I don't know how much protection I need, you know, to do the things that I do. But sometimes I err on the side of 
quiet, please. You know, leave me be, leave me be, leave me be. Well, I think it's interesting if you know what it's in the service of. Like I started querying, like, why does this get me so bent out of shape? Like, why am I being so impatient? Because I think impatience is one of my worst qualities as well. And I was like, what is it you're trying to get to? And I think it's normally that if you're busy wanting to get on with the thing that you thought everybody was focused on doing, because it usually happens for me at work. Yeah. And it's like, oh, but no, it's about someone spraying a little bit of something on my ear (laughs) and then tugging on my pant leg and having a whole conversation about the buffet at lunch. And suddenly (laughs) I've forgotten what I'm doing. I had this rule, like, uh, and it's going to make me sound, I'm a bit of an asshole when I made it up and and when I use it, but I say it only in in the nicest way. But if somebody on set is, is super like into their job and they're doing it super, super well, but it's getting in my way, I'll say, you're giving 110% and that's really admirable. But what I need is like 70% from you right now. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, oh my God. I can so imagine a teacher saying that to me at school. <laughs> it's horrible. I can see that you're giving 100% and you already think like, oh, that's a good thing. I've always been told 100% is a good thing. And then you're like, what I need from you is 70%. <laughs> exactly. Oh shit. I got to let some air out of the tires. Hello, Jamila Jamil here. You may know me from my role in The Good Place or from She-Hulk or from social media and my activism. I Weigh basically started as a social movement and my podcast is one of my truly greatest achievements. It's a podcast against shame and a place for us to have really honest and truly inclusive conversations. I love connecting with people. I love learning. I have a lot to learn and I'm inviting you along with me. On I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, I have friends, activists, specialists and absolute heroes join me to teach me from their experience and expertise. People like Conan O'Brien, Jane Fonda, Roxanne Gay, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Byer, Alok, Kelly Roland, and more. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil has new episodes out every Tuesday and you can find the show on earwolf.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. 
employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from The Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, last question. In your life, can you tell me something that has grown out of a personal disaster? Oh, everything. Anything worthwhile. Anything worthwhile. But specifically, the only specific thing I can think of is when I was getting divorced, obviously I had a lot more time because I was living away from my kids and my soon-to-be ex-wife. And that was when I took up guitar, started writing songs. I never would have done that if I hadn't had that particular disaster unfolding in slow motion as divorce does. It's like a it's a it's a very slow moving disaster, regardless of who wants to do it or who doesn't want to. Every, it's a disaster for everyone. I started writing novels. I started writing songs on guitar. And these are things I never probably would have done had I not been so uneasy. The cliche, the, the sand and the oyster, you know, just so kind of irritated, irritated all the time, anxious, irritated, blah. What, do I, what can I do? What can I do? And that was my answer was I'm going to do things that I haven't done before. I do think however agonizing, and this sort of goes across the board, conflict is, it is ultimately creative. I mean, there's a lot of collateral damage often along the way, but I do think it is creative. I do think that's the other side of it. And this being the last question, it's sort of the antidote to that first question, because I think we do pursue this notion of happiness mm. probably completely erroneously as human beings when in actual fact it's about not really where were you happiest but where was it shittiest and what grew that was good out of that right i now think the person who wrote these questions which was me is just like a <laughs> dog loving idiot which was you <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was me I, you solved the mystery i solved the mystery i've been wondering which asshole which asshole wrote these it was me, God, it was me all along <laughs> Yeah, but that's it. That's it. Conflict. Conflict is creative. I mean, way more kind of fundamentally or, or literally, you know, divorce or any the end of or losing a parent or, you know, any kind of irrevocable split or loss makes you redefine yourself. You have to. You're no longer defined in this way. You're no longer defined as a daughter, necessarily. You're not more defined as a mother, what you said, like closer to mortality. Any loss that I could go through, this just happens to be the thing that came to mind. But in my life, any loss, you do have to then look at yourself in the mirror and go, well, who, who am I now? 
And what does that person do? That's exactly it. Like what the, the sort of evolution of identity, like, and what do you take? What survives that loss? What is gone? And it's a good thing it's gone. And what am I going to go back and sift through the rubble to salvage? Mm-hmm. But that also takes inquiry. That takes interest in inquiring into that. You have to be curious. Everybody's favorite word. You have to be resilient. Without those things, life, I think, is miserable. I think if there was anything that I ever tried to impart to my children, it would have been curiosity and resilience. Although it's, you can't really do that. You know, that's something they either have or they don't, or they learn on their own or they don't. But I see it all around me, especially as I get older. You know, I, I see the people that have given up and I see the people who haven't. I see the people who remain curious and resilient and I'm not judging it. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying one way is better than the other. I just think for me, I couldn't go on if I didn't think I could bounce back in some way. I couldn't take chances if I didn't think I could bounce back. God, that's a really good thing to think about. That's really interesting. It could be very sick too. It could be like, ah, you still have need. You still have need to be seen or to to give, to make something that somebody consumes or, you know, appreciates. Like, haven't you had enough, motherfucker? You know, it's like... I've certainly had enough, but there's something in me that wants to keep doing it. It could be an illness or it could be beautiful. I'm not sure. Oh, I hope it's something beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) All right, love, I'm going to text you later. Loads of love and thank you so much. Thank you. Really appreciate it, Dave. See you, love. Bye. Bye. Dave's newest book, The Reservoir, will be released on June 7th and is available for pre-order now. Dave's in the new Judd Apatow movie, The Bubble, which comes out on April 1st on Netflix. But I'll let Dave tell you about it. And also how I came to be in the movie without actually being in the movie, because I'm not in it, but I sort of am, which is lovely. Wait, when is The Bubble out? April 1st. It's so funny, I was just watching the trailer just because, like, obviously I watched the trailer for the new Judd Apatow movie and you're in it. And then... Why do they reference you? What happens? It's Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon is the movie studio boss. She's like, oh, she's like, oh, there's Mini. Oh, there's Mini Driver. I love her. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was really weird. I wonder why that came about. I mean, because Judd will just sit there on the mic and I could just hear him saying, there's Mini Driver. Let's <laughs> just say something. I can't wait. I'll be first in line. On the Netflix queue. Uh, you don't have to be on my actual line. It'll jump right ahead of the cake shows, straight to number one on my wish list. How many oh times God. can you watch season six of the Great British Bake Off? By the way, it turns out a fucking lot, because I've done it. <laughs> Mini Questions is hosted and written by me, Mini Driver. Supervising producer, Aaron Kaufman. Producer, Morgan Lavoy. Research assistant, Marissa Brown. Original music, Sorry Baby, by Minnie Driver. Additional music, by Aaron Kaufman. Executive produced by me, Minnie Driver. Special thanks to Jim Nicolay, Will Pearson, Addison O'Day, Lisa Castella and Anique Oppenheim at WKPR, Dela Pescador, Kate Driver and Jason Weinberg, and for constantly solicited tech support, Henry Driver. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast, 
will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Jamila Jamil here. You may know me from my role in The Good Place, or from She-Hulk, or from social media and my activism. I Weigh basically started as a social movement, and my podcast is one of my truly greatest achievements. It's a podcast against shame and a place for us to have really honest and truly inclusive conversations. I love connecting with people. I love learning. I have a lot to learn, and I'm inviting you along with me. On I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, I have friends, activists, specialists, and absolute heroes join me to teach me from their experience and expertise. People like Conan O'Brien, Jane Fonda, Roxanne Gay, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Byer, Alok, Kelly Roland and more. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil has new episodes out every Tuesday and you can find the show on earwolf.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts.